0: thank you for tuning in to adversity university and welcome to class hey everyone this is sean and have another good interview coming for you today with a new friend of ours patrick weagle he is a pitcher for the atlanta braves in major league baseball and had a lot of good you know stories to tell good outlooks on his career and I mentioned it in the interview but I think that maybe the most important piece of advice he had that younger listeners can take into account is that you can't always go with the high profile option. And by that I mean if you have the opportunity to, you know, be a fourth line player or a bench player at the best school, you know, a school that all your friends are going to be impressed by and you know, all those things that don't really matter. And you have another opportunity to be a starter, a first-line player at a lower profile school, then, you know, that's where your development's really going to be the best. And, you know, he got drafted to the MLB and instead of starting his pro career, pro journey, he said, I'm not ready. He took a hard look in the mirror and he opted for a third college, another year of development, and he's in the show now. So it's really working out for him. And it's something that I kind of went through as well, you know, talking to some bigger schools and you go, you look at their depth chart and a lot of their defensemen are NHL draft picks. And that's just not realistic for me as a player to go and get time there. So, you know, I went to a school that not my my friends wouldn't have heard of it, but I had the opportunity to play opportunity to develop. And, you know, it's taken me to professional hockey. So I really live by that piece of advice. And it was nice to hear from someone else as well. Garrett, what did you think about today's interview?
1: Yeah, well, just piggybacking off that, it's funny because my dad always says, uh, you know, if you're good enough, they'll find you. And clearly that's, you know, that's true in his case. That's true in your case. Um, And people get, you know, stuck with all the highlights of some of these bigger schools that maybe have better locker rooms as well, Um, you know, where you you might enjoy yourself or think you're going to enjoy yourself better because of the amenities that you're given. Uh, to your point, but you really need to look at where am I going to develop? Where is this going to give me an opportunity to grow as a person, as an individual in my sport, um, at the school academically wise? Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it, but what a great interview and a super humble guy. Uh, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to talk to him and has had a pretty crazy journey. I thought that I was going to be the only person uh, to know that's been to three colleges, and he also has. So. Um, That was pretty cool. And to to get to pick his brain on why he left, because, you know, at times I felt that me going to three different schools is kind of a reflection on who I am as a person. And he kind of mentions it, too, that that baseball doesn't define who he is, Um, you know, and I don't think hockey defines who I am or the fact that I've gone to three different schools defines who I am. Uh, So, you know, good to kind of get some insight from someone that's been through it before. Um, and some words of affirmation on someone that's been through a similar situation as I, I have.
0: I think we can even take those things hand in hand, you know, looking from the outside, you might judge someone and say, Oh, he's been to three schools. He must be bad. Looking from the outside, you can say, I want to go to this high profile school. But when you really dive deeper, like I know your situation very well, and it makes complete sense why you had to go through three schools. Right. And if you really dive in deeper And you realize, I'm going to have the best opportunity to develop at these smaller schools. You know, you can't just judge a book by its cover. And I think that, you know, everyone's story is important. So Patrick's was another really good one today. And I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Let's kick it on over to Patrick Weigel.
2: Finally, a summer school you'll actually want to attend. 365 Performance Hockey Academy Summer School is a 10-week program for players who want to take their hockey training to the next level. The focal points of this summer school will be on character and mindset training, on and off-ice development, physical literacy and athletic development, as well as nutrition, sleep, and recovery. During these 10 weeks, players will take part in video training and evaluation, as well as community outreach to promote character growth. 365 Performance Hockey Academy is a 10-week program starting June 7th. Registration is open now, but act fast because spots are limited.
0: Today's guest is from Thousand Oaks, California. He played college baseball for three schools, most notably the University of Houston. He's a two-time MLB draft pick. Next, he worked his way up the ranks of minor league ball and is now a pitcher in Major League Baseball for the Atlanta Braves.
3: Thank you for joining the podcast. Patrick Weagle. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having
1: me on. i yeah, really excited to have you, Patrick. And starting off, you were born and raised in California. So what sports did you play growing up, and did you always know you wanted to be an athlete?
3: Yeah, um, I played them all growing up, uh, except for maybe hockey. I mean, I played baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Um, baseball, basketball, I'd say were always my main ones, the ones I was probably best at. Um, you know, and as you get older, you go for playing all the sports, you kind of figure out the ones you're best at and you kind of narrow it down. And so I played f- football, basketball, baseball my freshman year. And then the next three years I played just basketball and baseball, but I, I always knew I wanted to be an athlete and baseball is always my first love. So, I mean, I'm blessed it worked out that way. I think height may
0: have had something to do with uh, basketball and baseball working out for you, but, uh, did you have yes. any... You have any siblings who helped you lead you into the game, or how did you find baseball?
3: Um, no, I mean I have a little sister. Uh, she, she's she's. I, I think I stole the athletic genes in the family. She uh, sports is just more than their thing, um, but I mean I got my love from, it from my dad. Um, I mean there were even pictures of me when I was little. Like it'd be me sitting on his lap, and uh, there'd be a Dodger baseball game while we we're watching Sports Center, watching highlights, and baseball was always. Um, my whole family's uh, favorite sport, really. Uh, my dad, uh, he played like a pretty like high level competitive softball. Um, like his his team won a national championship in 1994, the year I was born. Um, and I mean, once like once you don't play baseball anymore, you, you transition into softball. Um, so I grew up always being around the softball fields, and obviously growing up playing baseball in between my dad's tournament games or in between whatever he'd be hitting me ground balls or playing catch with me, let me fly balls, Let me hit. I mean, it, it, I just grew up around the fields.
1: I think it- a big, big majority of sons have their fathers kind of lead them into the sports that they want to play. Um, that's how it was for me. And, you know, you mentioned playing multiple different sports in high school, and I think it's different in California. It's very competitive in Utah. Uh, depending on what sport you played in, you know, it wasn't the best in high school. You'd have to play you know, Super League Baseball or AAA hockey or whatever the case may be. So were you fortunate enough to be able to play for the same high school for all four years and all the sports that you played in?
3: So I grew up, my first school I went to, it was a preschool through high school. So I got there in first grade and I stayed all the way through my freshman year. Um, so at that school, I was able to play all three sports. Granted, it was a very, very small school. We only had. 75 kids in the entire high school. Um so I was able to play all three sports and there really wasn't any pressure to be like hey, you know, you have to play this sport, you have to do this. It was like there were only 75 kids to choose from so they're kind of like you know lucky with what they had. Um and then when I transferred schools my sophomore year, um transferred high schools, um football, I mean it was it's a it's massive at St. Bonaventure where I went. Um they're always a state powerhouse state contender. And it was just uh, football dominates the culture there. And I knew that, like, I was okay at football. I didn't really like lifting that much. And, like, like it was just way too much work for me to play 12 games or 11 games, whatever it is. I was like, I'm going to go play basketball and baseball where I can play multiple games in a week. I can, you know, there's the, pra- the practice time, to game time is a little more even. So um, I was better at those two as well. So I just kind of rolled with those.
0: Yeah, some of those wait times are crazy. I remember uh we were very close to the, the lacrosse team at my college and you know our season would start pretty much as soon as you get to school, you're in training camp and then you're playing, you know, into March and you leave in April. Those lacrosse guys would get there, have off season the entire first semester, have off season, they wouldn't start games till like March and then they would have to stay into like June when school was already done. I was like, "You guys love your sport. That is dedication of so much offseason.
3: season yeah that's how i feel about football i mean and even in football there's offense and defense so you only get to play half the game depending on what position you are like, ah, that ain't for me
0: <laughs> so i think self-doubt is something that we all experience whether it's in sports school even relationships that feeling of not being you know the best at something can weigh on you and you went through this as a young ball player what was your high school experience like with baseball
3: Yeah, um, I'd say it it, it was pretty mixed. Um, Like I said, my first school, um, there was only one team. Everyone was on the varsity team, whether you'd never played baseball before or whether you you were really good at it. Uh, We had a really good team, um, played third base, um, pitched a little bit. We had two or three guys that were better pitchers than I was. Um, So uh, we ended up winning was like the equivalent of like a state championship for our small school division. And then I transferred, Um, so I transferred, played J.B. my sophomore year. Um, And then junior year, we had two or three guys that were still ahead of me pitching-wise on the depth chart. So I would just kind of play sparingly wherever I was needed. And then, uh, like, heading into senior year was really the first year where I was like, all right, like, I'm one of the main guys, you know, here's the ball and kind of go see what you can do for yourself um but again not really getting the playing time my first three years it was um you know you never you don't really know what i was what we're walking into um and luckily i just got i mean i got fortunate that i developed between training for baseball training for basketball um in the preseason i mean i had no college offers going into my senior year um and i went out to what is like a showcase like a travel ball showcase and i hit uh, not only 90 for the first time but I went up, I hit 92. Um, so I remember coming back to school and, and, uh, there were a bunch of letters from, uh, professional teams. that had college interest all of a sudden. And, and so that kind of gave me a lot of confidence heading into senior year. Like, okay, like I have good enough stuff. Like, all I have to do is go out there and put it over the plate and it'll take care of itself.
0: Yeah. That had to be a great feeling to get those offers after, you know, such a long time, but I, how were you able to mentally, you know, when you are the best player, it's really easy to focus on the next step, right? But when you mm. are competing for playing time at your current level, were you able to still focus on making it to the next level or were you just worried, you know, one day at a time, I just want to start playing games here.
3: So like for me, it, it was my senior year. Um, like it was the transition and mindset for me. Um, you know, I, my goal growing up, always been like, I just want to be good enough to have baseball pay for college. But as soon as I hit that 92 and then later in my senior hit 94, I was like, all right, like, I have good enough stuff to pitch at what I, you know, at the big league level. You know, I have, you know, I have the miles power I have the velocity to be able to make that jump. And so from then on, everything that I thought about in going to school, everything I've thought about in training is and even in my early minor league career and even now it's like what do i have to do to be a people here, and like all of my decisions all of my um the way i go about things go just go back to um what i know that is and and trusting that process to just keep going through it but i really didn't have that mindset until late my senior year of high school and going into college
1: yeah, and you, you mentioned that you transferred high schools uh, after your freshman year, and it seemed that you were kind of, a, you know, a bigger fish in a small pond, and you go to a bigger a bigger pond, and you're a little bit of a smaller fish until really your senior year of high school. So what was that transition like, and how did you remain and keep a positive outlook when, you know, that transition was was pretty big?
3: Yeah, so, in, I mean, in high school, I had more success in basketball than I ever did in baseball. Um, I was like first team all conference in basketball. Um, I thought I might even have a chance to go play like a low level, you know, D2, D3, um, you know, high Juco level basketball and go to college that way. Um, but it was a lot of the kids at the high school that I'd grown up playing travel ball with. And so I, it it helped a lot that I already knew a lot of my teammates heading into the school. Um, and I knew, uh, just we knew as a family that, because it was such a small school, there were rumors going around this, the high school portion of that school was gonna close. Like I just needed to just transfer schools and get in a bigger competition pool. And I mean, when you're playing against players that are better than you, older than you, like that only breeds development. Um, so uh, we we just knew making that transition that, I mean, I was always pretty pretty good growing up that I'd be able to handle that transition and and. Get, you know, eventually I'm going to earn and get my chance.
1: I think that's a great way to go into a situation like that too. It seemed like your parents had their, you know, their head up, screwed on their shoulders really well and led you in, you know, that you're not going to be the best guy at the start. But if you continue with this process and this journey that eventually you'll get there is what it seems like.
3: No, hundred percent. And I mean, even when I was a kid, my dad always wanted me to play in the older leagues against the better players. And just because, I mean, it does no good to, like you said, be the big fish in the small pond when you're dominating everybody. It's, uh, you You can stunt development that way. Like you only really grow when you're put under uncomfortable circumstances or stuff that there are circumstances that you're not accustomed to. Um, that's what breeds development. And that's what breeds growth. Uh, yeah. They always push that.
1: That's a great point that it hinders your development, especially when you're trying to make it to the major leagues. Um, you know, and your next step was going to college and like you said, your senior year, you were fortunate enough to get offers. Um, and you ended up going to three different colleges in three years. So yep. can you kind of take us through that journey and you know, what you learned from it?
3: Yeah. Um, so my first school, uh, I was, I got, uh, I went to university of the Pacific, which is in Northern California. And, uh, there, at the time we were there in the WCC now, I think we it was called the big West. Um, Going in as a freshman, again, you know, you're going in um, trying to prove yourself, earn innings. And I ended up throwing about 30 to 35 innings that year, none of which went very well. I think I had like a 9.7 ERA, which is just atrocious. Um, And I felt that I was the same guy that I was in high school. I, I didn't feel like I got better that year um development wise and again going back to that you know the way i was thinking is like what is this going to help me be a big leader and ultimately it was like i know like i need more time to develop i need i need to go to a place that's going to you know hand me the ball and let me go out and get reps and be okay with some failure um And so we decided I was going to go back and transfer to Oxnard College, which is the junior college by my house. Um, My dad grew up with the coaches there. My grandpa coached them. Um, At this time I'd hit about, I think it was 97 or 98, my freshman year, Um, and had a really good summer ball season, which is another reason we had transferred as well. I played really well in summer ball, We just made leaps and bounds in development. And uh, went to Oxnard College with them pretty much saying, you know, here's the ball and, you know, you tell us when you want to come out of the game. And so, again, went there and they, I was a starter and, again, honestly, I didn't really have that much success there either. Um, I had, I think, 62 innings pitched and I think I walked 65 kids. Uh, I mean, it, it was bad you know, but I always had the stuff, like I, I at that point, my sophomore year, I hit hundred for the first time. Um, I was, my, my breaking stuff was better. I had better feel for change up just for whatever reason. I just wasn't honed in enough, um, or coordinated enough, you know, guys, my size, sometimes it takes a while just to get their coordination and fully physically mature. Um, and so, that was my year at Art College. We had a super successful team. And again, like um, I'd walk, you know, I'd walk three guys in the inning, but I also struck out three, so there'd be no damage. So I ended up only having like a 3-2 ERA. Um, we ended up making the state final four. We had a great team. And then uh, I was lucky enough to get drafted by the Brewers that year in the 22nd round, um, which led into the decision whether I wanted to attend University of Houston or had uh, you know, go to the draft and start my professional career. And again, going back to the senior question, what do I have to do to, you know, become a major leaguer? Uh, for me, it was actually delaying that journey because I knew that I wasn't ready that if I were to make that jump, that I, I'd probably wash out in rookie rookie ball or a ball because I couldn't throw enough strikes. Um, so I knew that I needed to learn more and I needed to develop more. So I went to university of Houston and. I didn't earn a, I didn't even earn a starter's job at University of Houston. Um, I went out there and I was a reliever. and again, um, Frank Anderson was a pitching coach there. He's now at University of Tennessee. Um, just being able to work with him every day and, and just the, the Houston program as a whole. Um, I had much better success at Houston. I finally felt that I'd taken that final step um, that I, w- I was ready to jump to the next level and start my professional career. I know we haven't even really gotten into
0: it, but I think that uh, this may be the most important lesson of your episode here is that uh, you have to know where you're at, and you can't always be tempted by these great offers because I've seen it in hockey so many times where guys will get uh, you know an offer from a really high profile school and some not as good schools, and then they they just jump on that opportunity to say, oh, you know, I go to this school, it's the best, but then like you said, you know, you're at the bottom of the lineup, you're not developing. Whereas if you go to you know a smaller school, you have an honest you know look at yourself, and you say you know I'm I'm not going to play at this big school. I should go to this smaller school where I'm going to have an opportunity to develop. Like for you, they're going to give you the ball, let you let you decide when you want to come out of the game, and obviously it's worked out fantastic for you. So I think that that was some really great you know self reflection at a young age.
3: Absolutely, I, I mean it's, I appreciate that. I just that mindset that I have going through all college is like, this is this is where I want to be or this is where I want to go and this is where I feel I need to be in order to accomplish that and like I said, having accountability and being able to look yourself in the mirror and saying like, I'm not quite there yet and being able to make decisions based on just having an honest look at yourself.
0: And then the way you've been talking about your stuff, it, it reminds me of the 40-yard dash in the NFL and how they judge players by such a small difference. You know, for them it's difference between a a four, four and a four, nine loses you millions of dollars. And it, it sounds like as a pitcher, you know, the difference between a 100 mile an hour pitch and even, you know, 96 could be a huge difference. So I know that there's so much work that goes into adding three, four miles an hour to a pitch. How do you set goals? Um, when your target is such a small difference, like how can you set a daily goal when it takes so much effort to get such a small result?
3: Um, it's just all part of, I mean, just all part of process, you know, um, while I always said it's like velocity and professional baseball velocity gets you in the door, but like how you pitch and how you get outs throughout your career, like that's what progresses you to the next level. So I would say I was always chasing velocity. Um, I just really, I mean, really fortunate genetic wise. I mean, I'm six foot six and, um, at the time I was two thirty, and I had just started just figuring out how to coordinate my body. Um, as well as in college, you know, you get more serious lifting plans in high school. That really wasn't a thing, um, unless you were on the football team, which I was not. Um, so it was really the first time I was able to like physically develop in the weight room and, um, Again, just, you know, I was able to throw that hard, but I wasn't able to locate anything. I, I could throw that hard, but I'd be spraying it all over the place. Um, and so, and it goes back to even now, it's just doing my workouts, doing my running every single day to put me in a position where I can succeed down the road.
1: It sounds like, excuse me, it sounds like pitching is kind of similar to, you know, a bench press. When you first start, you know, maybe you're doing 135 and you're doing 135 for two weeks. And then eventually you'll see kind of a big spike, right? You can get up 155, 165, 175 pretty fast. And then you start to taper off a little bit. And then it may take a month or two more months. And then you'll go up maybe five pounds. It seems like that's how it is with baseball and pitching. That exactly what you just said. You're not going to see the results. But you have to continue to put in the work every single day because you know at some point, uh, you know down the road that you'll get the results that you do
2: want.
3: That's also a great analogy. That it's it's just showing up every day and knowing that you're putting in the work and that eventually that you'll uh, be able to reap what you sow.
0: So you mentioned it briefly, but uh, you were actually drafted to the MLB not once but twice. Um, I wasn't sure. I didn't know that that could happen. Um, Can you explain that situation and how you were able to improve your draft stock from the 22nd round all the way up to the seventh round?
3: Yeah. um, So in college and so you're draft eligible your high school senior year. And then if you choose to go to a division one school, you are draft eligible after your junior year. Unless you redshirt your freshman year, then you're technically eligible your redshirt sophomore year. Um, or I believe there's like an age thing where you can be like a 21 year old sophomore, I think, then you're able to get drafted as well. But if you go junior college, you can get drafted out of junior college anytime, um, whether it be after your freshman year or your sophomore year. Um, you get drafted anytime. So because I was draft eligible my sophomore year, I was doing 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, the brewers decided, you know, hey, let's, let's let's take them and you know see if we can get them in. And and uh again, like just knowing I, I, I wasn't ready. You know, I had the velocity, I had stuff, but I was not able to locate it um uh, at the rate that I needed to. Um I was able to go to Houston and a lot of it was honestly just more time on the mound, um, more knowledge of the game, um more mental game knowledge. Um to be able to control myself on the mound, um, just without getting like too much into it, just different positions that you get in in your form going to home plate that um, just, I was able to really understand my body a lot more and what I was doing wrong, what I was doing correct, and what I needed to fix to be the most optimal.
1: So when you didn't sign with, uh, you said the Brewers, the first team you got drafted with, do they then lose your rights so that at the next year's draft, you're eligible to be drafted again? Is that how that works? Yes, that would be correct. Okay.
0: I actually do kind of want to get into uh, a bit of that chess match because they talk about how the chess match between a pitcher and a batter is you know, one of the best things to watch in sports if you know what you're looking for. And you know, I, I don't know what I'm looking for. So how much do you know about every batter before you face them? And how does a chess match change if you face someone new that you don't have a pre-scout on?
3: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at, at the major league level, A level, um, and some, uh, I mean, it's even more prevalent in all of baseball now, but you just get massive loads of information at scouting reports and saying, like, this guy hits really well in this spot. He has a hole in this area of the strike zone in his swing. Um you know, he always takes the he takes the first pitch 80% of the time, or he swings at the first pitch, you know, 65% of the time on a different guy. Like that we have so much knowledge heading into a game that it's it's a lot easier to formulate a game plan of how to attack each player um or each hitter. Um, as well as just like live in-game adjustments, whether they'll give you his full like a full season spreadsheet, like a 10-day like whether he's hot or cold over the last 10 days. And then obviously in game, um able to see um whether, you know, what I thought what I'm looking at is I'm looking at, like if his hips open up or um when he takes his load, does he have like a straight arm? Um just like different things in hitter swing that maybe I can exploit um in that bat. Um, and, and like there's <laughs> there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but that's just kind of, like you said, like a cat and mouse game where like they know what I'm good at and I know what they're good at. I know it. they know what I'm bad at. I know what they're bad at. And, uh, it's, and it, it, it could be a really challenge, a real challenge facing the same guy. I have a more challenge facing the same guy over and over again than facing a new guy. Cause going in against a new guy, I'm just going to go with my strengths, what I'm good at. Now, if I'm facing like last year we had what was called the alternate site. Um, where it was essentially the reserves for the guys that weren't in the big league club. We had about, I don't want to say 30 of us, about 30 to 35 of us. Um, but we played, we inter-squad and played each other every day for th- four months. <laughs> I mean, so again, you're facing the same six to six, six to eight guys over and over and over and over again. And so you can't, you know, you stick to your strengths and what you're good at, but also it's a time to really, figure out different ways to be able to get guys out because they know what you want to go to. They know what pitch you want to throw.
0: So how much does that chess match change? If you're getting, you know, the same massive amounts of information from your organization and you play the same team a couple of days in a row, how much is the chess match going to change based on the pitcher? If you guys are kind of getting the same game plan for each batter and you know their weaknesses to attack, right?
3: Yeah, um, and again, that goes back to like what each pitcher is good at. Like what can I exploit with my strengths um, or what are some things that I can try against that hitter? Um, you know, myself and maybe like a lefty uh, like Tyler Matzik, um, Our team have um, different stuff. So, I mean, he's going to attack hitters differently based on how I'm going to attack hitters. He has a super live fastball that seems like it just skips up in the air at the very end, and that's what he's very good at. Um, so everything he does is going to be, um, you know, based on what he does really well, um, in the same way, like I have a good breaking ball. So a lot of what I do is going to be based on how can I look, make, give a hitter different looks based on this base breaking ball. Um, I mean, and there are different ways you can go about it. Um, but that's just kind of how I look at it.
1: I'm getting the sense that you're not super over analytical when you know you're playing a new team. It seems that you kind of look at what what batters do, but you go back to relying on your senses and what your strengths are, uh, and, you know, and not overthinking the person that you're 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 pitching at.
3: Yeah, 100. You know, you don't want to go out there and you know you get you get beat. You know, you give up a run on your fourth best pitch um, in a situation where you just you just don't have to. Um, so again, it's just knowing what you're good at. And trying to get them in a position that they're not good at.
1: <laughs> you also have said it multiple times.'ve you've, you've gotten up to 100 miles an hour, so my first question is, have you ever pitched over 100?
3: Unofficially, um, I know I've hit higher on score, like uh, scoreboard or stadium radar guns, but those are often very unreliable. Um, so like verified like actual, Reliable radar gun at only 100.
1: And then in your position in sports, obviously being a pitcher and throwing 100 miles an hour, or, you know, in the high 90s every day, um, a lot of pitchers that that puts them under a lot of stress. And unfortunately, in your position, you have to undergo Tommy John surgery. So can you take us through, you know, going through the surgery and the recovery and all that process?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also is a uh, you know a huge part of my of my journey as a baseball player. Um, I had, I had, had elbow pain since my sophomore year of college at Oxnard, um, that had just gradually, it was, it wasn't like a one pitch snap. It was like a gradual over time, kind of like just, just chipped away at that ligament. And what, you know, looking at going back and doing like a dive into, you know, once I had the surgery, I was able to really. I'm out for a year and a half, but you know, just don't get to play baseball anymore. So you're really able to sit back and look, okay, like I got hurt for a reason. What am I doing wrong? Um, and so that's when my just knowledge of the game and knowledge of pitching really was able to expand um, was kind of being a re- removed from playing it. Um, so it's like going into what, what do the best in the world do? Um, so just looking at guys like DeGrom Scherzer, uh, Verlander, Garrett Cole, what are the positions that they're getting in that allow them to one, stay healthy and two um, be able to maintain velocity and maintain their success for such a long period of time. Um, and so there are just certain positions that they get in that I, looking back at my career, like I wasn't getting it, I was throwing it hard, but what I was doing wasn't sustainable. Um, and eventually, like I said, it just chipped away at that ligament and, uh, um ultimately led to me having the surgery um which again is uh, a lot of that recovery is more mental than it is physical
0: did you have to change your pitching style it sounds like through that time
3: yeah there there are certain uh adjustments that that i had made um or like my pitching style, I would say I changed my pitching style, but I had a lot of bad habits that I had to break. Um, different energy leaks. Um, I mean, like trying to relate it to a to to hockey, like something in a guy slap shot, like they're doing something wrong and the puck's just not jumping off like it should. There's a weird spin to it, whatever it is. Like I was doing something wrong in my mechanics that the that. I was putting all the stress on my elbow. I wasn't using my total body. It was I was using a lot of my arm. Um, uh, yeah, I was using mostly my arm. And so, um, again, just be able to look at what the best in the world do, what I was doing, and trying to match and find a, you know, um, gradually start chipping away to try to get to more I can emulate more like them as opposed to what I was doing I mean I'm still in the process of there. there's you know there's 21 of bad habits is, is it can be hard to break sometimes so I mean there's still things that I fight in my delivery to this day that's like I but because I was able to sit back it's like all right like I can diagnose okay this is what I'm doing wrong and now I'm able to have the tools and I'm able to fix that and make an adjustment
1: did you see an improvement once you were fully healthy when you did change your mechanics did you get more speed on the ball were you more accurate did that you know did that help with your pitching at all
3: um. Yeah, I mean, I I, wouldn't, I haven't thrown any harder, but I'm way less sore, and my elbow pain is gone. Um, I don't. I haven't had any major injuries. Um, since then, um, just my body is moving a, a lot better. My arm is is moving a lot better. Um, it's just healthier and more sustainable. Physically.
1: Yeah, and then you mentioned during that time that a lot of it's a lot more mental than physical. Um, so what did you do to stay mentally sharp and to, you know, who was by your side to help you get through that?
3: Yeah, um, I did a ton of reading. I mean, like part of the, I'm referring to the mental. I got to AAA when I was, I was 22. Um, I mean, so I was one step from the big leagues and I was pitching really well. Um, and it was in June, you know, I blew out and it, it's really hard to make that transition to pitching and competing for a spot in the big leagues to all of a sudden you're injured, um, not on the roster and you don't get to play for a year and a half and you're undergoing major surgery. And, um, I was essentially like living in a, in a hotel room at that point. Um, which you know, like it was um, by myself for the most part. So it was really hard for me to make that transition um, from, you know, competing every day and trying to achieve my dream to, you know, finding joy and just trying to move each of my fingers individually again. Um, it, it really was humbling and uh, probably one of the most challenging things I've I've, I've dealt with. Um, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very fortunate. That's my biggest problem in life. Um, and again, it took a huge toll on me mentally. Um, luckily I had my, my girlfriend now wife at the time, um, you know, always on the phone with me and, and be able to, you you know, just vent to her and have her listen and, and just be there with me, um, you know, when she could, um. But again, it, it, it really allowed me to take a step back. And for me, it wasn't about like, I didn't have to put my identity in baseball anymore. Like I found other things that interested me. Uh, life wasn't just about, you know, progressing and advancing and getting to the big leagues. Now it was more so like, I guess, take a step back um, and, you know, find hobbies that I enjoy. Um, you know, I, I, I dove really deep into my faith. Um, just just different avenues that my identity wasn't tied up in baseball anymore. It was very freeing. It's actually really funny. I think you're our, our
0: third baseball guest and the second of them to mention, you know, getting your identity away from baseball. Um, Garrett, do you remember if it was Josh, who talked about that.
1: I think it was Josh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's so Josh Young, uh, Texas Rangers draft pick. Uh, he said the same thing. You know, he had. Uh, you know people coming after him because he was supposed to be such a high pick and what helped him relieve that stress was getting his identity away from the game you know hey i I love baseball but that's not who i am like you know people are attacking me for that and i think it it helped free him up so it's cool to see that um through two separate you know type of life situations you kind of fell back on the same thing and i'm glad that you your mental health is better now and i think that going through that harder journey when you were young, definitely helped set you up to realize that, you know, this new injury is just, you know, another process that I'm going to have to get through.
3: 100% and again, like every, everything in life, those that you every adversity handled, it makes you better for it. Like through baseball and going through that experience, like I'm just now more equipped just in life in general to handle any adversity that's come my way, whether it be in baseball, whether it just be, you know, in everyday life. Um, it just, it really uh, was able to help me develop not only as a player, but this time as a person.
0: Then you also had a uh, stress fracture in your back in college that kept you from playing. How did you get that injury?
3: Yeah. Um, so I was called a parcels defect. It was a stress fracture on my L5. And that kept me out my fall of my junior year. Um, So again, this is my third school. I'm trying to re-earn a spot, you know, earn a spot on the team and, and uh, you know, try to compete and earn earn my worth and earn my keep. And uh, it was really difficult having that and not being able to compete in the fall and you know make an impression and fight for a spot especially in your junior year which is your division one draft year um so it 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 was extremely difficult um but it uh, luckily I was able to heal up by the end of the fall I was able to squeak in a couple outings right before we went home for Christmas break and um you know luckily I was able to handle that
0: I'm glad to hear that too. And uh, you mentioned that you were already in triple A ball by the time you're 22, but you had to climb through the ranks. You know, you played single A, double A and triple A, correct?
3: Yep. And rookie ball before that. And, and, uh, Abel.
0: yeah. So how are you able to, you know, outcompete your peers and climb that ladder so quickly?
3: Um, I, I don't, i I'm, I don't know how to explain it, but like, it's not, we're all on the same team. So like, I'm not out there like thinking like, Oh, like I need to you know, jump this guy to get to this level. I need to do this to get to that. We always, we call it like playing GM. Like for us, it's it. And we we have a really special group that came up together. Like we were all on the same team and we're all like, like it was like a friendly competition. Like if, you know, if Max Fried went out and he threw five shutout innings, that means Sirocco, we wanted to go out and throw six shutout innings. That means I wanted to go out and throw seven shutout innings. Like it wasn't about like us leaping each other or anything like that. Like it was just a healthy like group competition that we just wanted to succeed as a team and as a whole. I think that's the healthiest way to go about development is not looking at what other guys are doing. It's like it's, it's, it's focusing on yourself and again there's the, there's that friendly competition you know oh you went six I'm gonna go seven shutty. um but it was never in a it's never in a like malicious like I'm better than you I'm gonna get there first I'm gonna do this it it, it, it was just it was an awesome environment to be around and as again we, we just had a special group coming up that I know not a lot of teams not a lot of organizations have
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing that gives your organization and your pitching group a competitive advantage over other organizations and other pitching groups when you have that, uh, you know, healthy competition of, like you said, not necessarily trying to jump that guy or do whatever. But if someone's doing well, you're kind of like, I want to do well, too. And, you know, you ultimately just push each other in the in the in the right direction, um, while also still maintaining a healthy and friendly relationship.
3: Yeah. I mean, and those guys are my best friends, you know, it's like, it, it it makes you step your game. up. Oh man. Like he went, you know, he struck out 10, like I got to step my game up. You know, it's just, it's, it's the healthiest way to go about it. And it it was a special group.
0: I think it also can be really productive too, because, you know, those other pitchers that, yeah, you're competing with them to get called up. They're also going to be your best allies that, you know, talking through the game, talking through situations, learning from each other, because, You know, those guys have also played however many thousands of innings of baseball, you know, they can see things while you're out there and help you too. And it's something that I love doing with the other defensemen on my hockey teams, you know, at the end of practice, grab each other, say, hey, this is something that I have been struggling with in the game. Like, how would you play it? Or like, what's something we can do to work on to get better at this, you know?
3: Yeah, no, I hundred uh, percent. Sirocco was my roommate in Able. I know after games we would go back to the hotel room and we would just like diagnose the entire game. You know, a- a- after we, you know, if he was pitching, like, hey, like, what do you see out there? Like, what, you know, what do you think about this that bat, this sequence, and just be able to bounce ideas off of each other. Um, you know, I'm, I was a big reader, I uh, still am. Um, so, so like for me, it was talking about like, oh, like. You know, mental performance that's what you know was kind of early in my career that's what I was really diving into um you know different thing you know um, cues in my head different stuff just be able to be able to bounce those ideas off one another it's it's just so huge
1: earlier before we started you you mentioned that uh, making to the big league was on your bucket list so what were your emotions on making your MLB debut
3: um it was a mix of uh the biggest one i'd say was relief like it was it was like it was honestly like a release um you know my my debut honestly didn't it didn't go the way i wanted um but it felt like just a monkey was off my back honestly um it again it was my dream since i was a little kid to play in the big leagues um and being so close and getting hurt um it made me appreciate it that much more. Um, so like when I find, I, got, I got up, called up twice in 2019, I got called up to the big leagues, but never played um, this past year. It's the first time I got called up and actually got to play and it didn't, you know, granted it didn't go that well, but I remember going home that night and think like, I just felt like a weight was off my shoulders. Like, all right, like I can progress with my career now. Like I, I checked that off like now we go
0: and it, it, it was an awesome feeling. That's awesome. And there are those little bucket list check marks, you know, for a hockey player might be, you know, scoring your first goal. I'm sure for you, you know, maybe striking out your first batter. Um, what's it like now that your peers are, you know, some of the best players in the world Were there, was there anyone that you were a little bit starstruck by when you were getting those call-ups?
3: Um, I wouldn't say starstruck would be the word I'd be. I'd use the word like respect. Like they're just, they're just giants in the game where, um, you know, for us, the guys have been there long, uh, like Freddie Freeman, um, you know, Nick Marcakis, where it's just so much respect for their careers and what they have done. um, That it is awesome. Just being able to be on the same team as them and being able to, um, you know, just have conversations. you know, and, and it, when Akas was down in the alternate side last year, like there are just some things that he was telling me that, you know, just that him seeing in my delivery when I was coming set stuff like that, um, that like his, his knowledge of the game and how long he's been in the game is just invaluable to someone who's breaking in like myself. Um, so again, it, it, uh, I wouldn't say I was like starstruck, but um Again, uh, I don't know what the correct term for it is. It's just like there's just a lot of respect for what they've done in the game and, and who they are.
1: Yeah, I think uh, respect is a good way of putting it because, I mean, for people that are listening to, you grow up with some of these guys, right? Like you go through summer ball with them or you play, you know, Triple A ball with them. So you're at the same level that they are. Um, and then maybe they've been in the system a little bit earlier and just got success a little bit earlier than you have. So it's not like you're playing with, you know, you're not 16 years old where you just played high school and now you're playing with someone in the MLB. You've been through it and gone through it and have grown up with, I'm sure, a lot of those guys uh, making the same steps to, uh, you know, the very top.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Braves are a super young team and a super exciting team. And we all have mostly played with each other coming up through the minor leagues. Um, And it's, uh, it's a really special group and really thankful to be a part of the organization.
0: All right. You didn't like my player to be starstruck by. So you grew up watching Dodgers games with Your dad, uh, is there a stadium, you know, maybe Dodger Stadium where where
3: is going to be really special for you to pitch? Um, I have a lot of family still in California, so I know Dodger Stadium would be really special. Um, I, I mean, I, my I know my whole family is still like diehard bleep, you know, bleeds blue. We're trying <laughs> to work on it, but. Um, I mean, I mean, knowing being able to pitch in that stadium and hopefully with fans, then being able to see my see me pitch in that stadium. I know would be just it would mean the world within my family. Um, so that would be just an awesome moment to have. Um, you know, my favorite player growing up was Eric Karras, uh long time first baseman for the Dodgers. He's now an, an announcer, um, you know, but some of my favorite memories are at that stadium. Well, that's why you know he my favorite memory of you know growing up is he was running off the field and it was late in the game and I hadn't um every time you run off the field he tosses the ball up to the stands I was a super shy kid I was very reserved like I was never that kid to jump up and go up on the fence and like wave my arms for a ball and so I remember I was sitting there late in the game seventh or eighth inning I was just sitting with my parents just enjoying the game and I remember he came over and he like, waved some kids inside and he pointed at me to stand up. He pointed at me and tossed me a ball and I was sold. He's like, e- Eric Karras, my favorite baseball player. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's awesome. awesome. I've been to Dodger stadium yeah. once. Uh, yeah. watched a game there. So I'm hopeful that when you you're able to pitch at Dodger stadium, that it's a sold out house because that place is unbelievable.
3: It is. It, it is unbelievable. Just uh, a lot of good memories there. And, uh, you know, I'd be super blessed and thankful for that opportunity. And
0: hey, well, we're looking forward to your first win at Dodger Stadium. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, coming on the podcast. It was awesome hearing about your story and how you've overcome. And, you know, you're just still very young in your career. So we wish you nothing but the best of luck in the future.
3: Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it was a joy and, and uh, I appreciate you guys.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Aversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is Aversity underscore University. Our Twitter handle is Aversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Aversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.